Hello, welcome back to True Crimes Untold. I'm your host, Jess. This next episode is on the disappearance of Bryce Laspisa. A former Naperville man attending college in California has been missing since the end of last summer. Bryce Laspisa disappeared under bizarre circumstances last fall. To this day, it is still a mystery. Tonight, his mother is back in the Chicago area for the first time on her own. And she spoke to CBS 2's Brad Edwards in this original report. It's a best friend reunion in Terminal 3. I am Bryce Laspisa's mom. Best friends and their baggage. Some days are better than others. Her son Bryce, missing for eight months. 15,000 now follow on Facebook. They had airplanes, they had helicopters, they had divers. And nothing. Hello, friends. I hope you're all well, happy, and healthy. Thanks for joining me. Happy Sunday. It's actually almost Monday because it's like 20 till 12 here. And as you know, we lost an hour today. So if you don't know, go change the clock on your stove right now or tomorrow morning. You're going to be like, fuck, I'm late for work. But no, don't you worry. You're not. So since it is so late, let's jump into this week's episode. Now this is different from anything else I've ever done before. It is a missing persons case. I was planning on doing something different, which I am still going to do, but the past two weeks I really slacked because there were a few days that I just wasn't feeling good. Not that this case uh, didn't take some time. It is just one of the strangest things and the circumstances are just so odd and I'm very curious to see what you guys are going to think and say about it. So this is the missing person case of Bryce Lapisa. Bryce was 19 years old and an only child to Mike and Karen Lapisa and the family lived in Illinois until 2012 when Mike and Karen were able to retire and Bryce was graduating high school. His parents bought a home in Laguna Niguel, California, and Bryce registered for college at Sierra College in Rockland, which was seven hours away from their new home. Bryce was studying industrial and graphic design, and in his freshman year, he met tons of new friends, he got good grades, and even got a new girlfriend named Kim. When Bryce's freshman year ended, he went back to Laguna Niguel and spent the summer with his parents. Then in August, just a few weeks before classes began, Bryce heads back to Rockland. But this semester, something is different about Bryce. Sean, who is his roommate, and his girlfriend Kim notice that Bryce starts drinking a lot. They said that on the weekends he would finish off two-fifths of hard liquor just by himself. Now when Bryce would go back home to see his parents, they would say that Bryce wasn't showing any signs of drinking or being drunk around them, especially because he was still underage. 
For the first few weeks that Bryce was back at school, he was consuming a lot of alcohol, but he wasn't really showing any other red flags, so his friends and his girlfriend weren't too concerned about him. Bryce's classes began on Tuesday, August 27th, and that evening he called his mom to tell her how his classes were, and by all accounts, they went well. Karen said that Bryce was totally normal and upbeat on the phone, and she didn't think anything was wrong. That same night, Bryce and some of his friends got together to play video games and drink alcohol, and it was reported that he also took Vivians to stay awake. Vivians are an off-brand of Adderall. What wasn't reported is how often Bryce was taking the Vivians, and all that Kim and Sean knew was that Bryce had been taking them throughout the first two weeks that he was back for his sophomore year. By the next day, on August 28th, reports say that Bryce had already been up for two to three days straight without sleep, and it's on the 28th that something drastically shifts in Bryce. Kim and Sean both say that he started to act really strange from the night he took the drug on the 27th, and they were so worried about him that Sean actually called Bryce's mom. Sean wasn't calling to tell on Bryce for taking the drug or his drinking, but because his behavior was completely out of the ordinary and that he was worried about him. A couple of hours after Sean called Karen, she gets another call from Bryce himself. Bryce tells his mom that he is at Kim's house, which is about 90 minutes from Bryce's apartment at school. He tells her that he is mad at Kim because she took his keys from him and wouldn't let him leave. According to Bryce, him and Kim had broken up the night before, and on Tuesday night, the same night that Bryce started to show some weird behavior, he sent Kim a text that said, you're better off without me. So Kim asked him if they were breaking up, and Bryce responded with yes. When Bryce went to Kim's the next night on the 28th, it was assumed he was going there to talk about the breakup, but Kim told Karen that when he got there, he was acting so strangely, and she didn't think that he was in any condition to drive, so she took his keys. Karen says the complete opposite about talking to her son that night. She thought he was lucid and sounded normal and not impaired, and Bryce told her that Kim was just upset because he broke up with her. Karen tells Kim, listen, I'm his mom. He sounds fine. Even even though you are worried about him, just give him his keys and let him go home. Bryce then gets back on the phone with his mom and she tells him that she's going to get a flight out tomorrow to come and see him because there's obviously something going on. Bryce tells her not to make any reservations until he talks to her, that he has quite a few things he needs to tell her about, and then they hang up. Karen stated that she had no idea what Bryce was thinking about or what he needed to talk about, that they had just seen each other a few weeks before and everything seemed fine. Bryce left Kim's apartment that night around 11.30 p.m. and on his drive home at 1 a.m., he calls his mom again. Karen thinks that Bryce is back at his apartment and he's just calling to check in, but what she doesn't know is that Bryce is actually about an hour south of his apartment, which was later found out due to cell phone tower pings from his phone. When Bryce's parents wake up the next morning, they get a phone call around 11 a.m. and a voicemail is left from their insurance agency, State Farm, and it says that their Toyota Highlander, which is Bryce's car, needs roadside assistance. Karen calls Bryce's phone repeatedly, but with no answer, she calls Sean, Bryce's roommate, to see if Bryce is with him. 
Sean tells Karen that Bryce never came home from the night before. His parents begin to look through his credit card activity to see if it would lead them to wherever he was. Bryce's parents are able to do this because it's their card in their account and he gets a weekly allowance while he's in college so he doesn't have to worry about getting a job. They see a charge from a place called Castro Tire and Truck in a town called Buttonwillow, which is three hours north from where they live in Laguna Niguel. By this time, it's almost noon, and they still could not get a hold of Bryce, so they decided to call the repair shop, and they spoke to a technician named Christian, who actually helped Bryce out. Christian told Bryce's parents that he did remember their son, and that Bryce had run out of gas, so he got him three gallons and helped him fill up his car so Bryce could make it to a gas station. His parents explained the situation, and Christian offered to go check to make sure that Bryce wasn't still somewhere near the repair shop and in need of help. A few minutes later, Christian calls Mike and Karen back and says, Hey, I found your son. Bryce was still sitting in the exact same spot where Christian saw him sitting hours earlier at 9 a.m., Christian walked up to Bryce and put him on the phone to talk to his mom, and when she asked him what he was doing, he says nothing. She doesn't push Bryce for more answers, and she realizes now that this is the strange behavior Kim and Sean were telling her about. She tells Bryce to please just fill up your gas tank and drive straight home. Bryce fills up his gas tank around noon, and he's about three hours away, so his parents are expecting him around 3 p.m., 3 o'clock comes and goes, and by 3.30, they start to call his phone and leave him messages. Six more hours goes by with no word from Bryce, and by 6 p.m., they file an official missing persons report in Orange County. Right away, police get in touch with AT&T to do an emergency ping on Bryce's phone, and thankfully his phone was still on and it pings in Buttonwillow, the same area he was in at 9 a.m. and at 12 p.m. when he was supposed to be heading home. Since police have already been called, they send Kern County deputies to check the area. They find Bryce parked on the side of the road and he had only driven eight miles from the repair shop. The deputies stop and talk to Bryce, and they said that he was completely coherent, but they gave him a field sobriety test just to be safe. Bryce passes the, passes the test, and they also search his vehicle, but there was nothing. No drugs, no alcohol, no paraphernalia, nothing. So deputies ask what he is doing, and he tells them that he's just there to blow off some steam, and they didn't think too much into it since Bryce is a teenage boy and in college, and we know that can be stressful. Deputies tell Bryce that he should call his parents, that they are worried, and his reaction, according to reports, ranges from hesitant to really reluctant. For some reason, he didn't want to call his parents, and police have to physically dial the phone for him. The deputy talked to Bryce's mom first, and she asked him if Bryce seemed okay and if he's capable of driving. He tells Karen that, yes, Bryce seems fine and should be able to be fine driving the rest of the way home. When the phone gets handed over to Bryce, his mom asks again, what are you doing? He takes the question very literally and tells her that he's putting things back into his car after the police searched it. Even though Karen wanted to know what he was doing just eight miles from where he had been sitting when he was supposed to be home by that point, she doesn't try to push him for more answers. 
Karen tells her son to go get something to eat and then come straight home because she is worried about him. They hang up and the deputies, now knowing that everything is okay with Bryce, leave him so he can be on his way. Later that evening, Mike and Karen get a call from Christian, the repairman that helped Bryce with the gas. He had missed a call from them earlier that day when Bryce's family was frantically calling around looking for him. They fill Christian in on everything that has happened over the last few hours, and he nicely offered to go check again to make sure Bryce wasn't still in the area. Mike and Karen tell him that he doesn't have to. At this point, it's been so many hours that Bryce has to be close to home. But being the good Samaritan that Christian is, he goes to check anyway. Fifteen minutes later, Mike and Karen get another call from Christian. He's at the location that police found Bryce hours earlier, and Bryce is still in that same spot sitting in his car. Christian tells Mike and Karen that he will follow their son to make sure he gets on the freeway heading towards their house. That way they know Bryce is on the road and driving. The family agrees, and 30 minutes later, both men are on the freeway, and after about 10 miles of following behind Bryce, Christian takes an exit to turn around and head home. Over the next couple of hours, Mike and Karen call back and forth with Bryce. They are super worried about him, and they just want to make sure that he is still on his way home. Each time they get Bryce on the phone, they ask him for a landmark so they know exactly where he is and when he should be arriving. It's late at night, and Bryce continues to tell his parents that it's too dark, that he can't see any landmarks, and the only thing he keeps telling them is that his GPS says he will arrive at 3.25 a.m. At 2.09 a.m., he calls his mom and says he is too tired to drive the rest of the way. Bryce has been awake for a minimum of 24 hours, and quite possibly even longer than that from what his friends said. His parents don't want him to get into an accident, so they agree and tell Bryce to pull over and sleep in his car for a few hours. It's later than 2 in the morning, and after the day that they all had, his parents are ready to get some sleep too. At 8 a.m. the next morning, the doorbell rings and Mike and Karen think that it's their son. They are happy that he's finally home. But when they opened the door, it wasn't their son standing there. It was the police. The police tell Mike and Karen that they found the Toyota Highlander and that it was overturned and abandoned at Kaseyak Lake, which is about two hours north of their home and one hour south of Buttonwillow, Bryce's last known location. When police investigate the scene of the accident, it looked like sometime before dawn, Bryce drove off the main road, heading up a hill towards a cell tower. He drove past the tower and then went down the hill and began accelerating through brush, heading towards the lake. When you're at the top of this hill, it looks like you're really close to the lake, but it's actually much further away, and there's a 20-foot drop-off that Bryce's car fell from. The car landed on its side, and it looked like the back window was pushed out after, so police believe that Bryce was able to get out of the car. They found a few small drops of his blood on the inside of the car, but nothing on the outside, so they don't think he was bleeding bad enough where he was unconscious or not able to move. Bryce left his laptop and his phone inside the car, and he left a duffel bag and his wallet just outside of the car but Bryce himself was nowhere to be found near this crash site. 
Police start full searches of the area using helicopters, divers in the lake. They had ATVs and searches on foot, but there was no sign of Bryce. The only thing that they find are two pictures that make this case even more bizarre and confusing than before. Police find a surveillance camera that takes pictures of license plates as they go up the hill towards the lake. Bryce's car was going up this hill at 2.15 a.m., and the camera snapped a picture of his license plate. This was just six minutes after he talked to his mom and was supposed to be resting for a few hours. Then the same camera on the same hill captures his car again going up the same way at 4.29 a.m., and then his car was found just an hour later, flipped over with Bryce nowhere to be found. Police have no idea where Bryce was between 2.15 and 4.29 or why he was up there for two hours and then drove back just to go up the same hill again when he was supposed to be heading to his parents after a few hours of sleep. Nine days into the search, they bring in bloodhounds that track his scent from his vehicle to a roadway that goes over a dam that's on the lake, and they follow his scent to a truck stop, and that's where the scent ends. Since that day, there hasn't been a single clue of what may have happened to Bryce. When police go back and talk to Sean and Kim about the days leading up to Bryce's disappearance, they find out that before Bryce left, he gave away his Xbox to his roommate and a pair of diamond earrings that his mom gave him. And then on the night that he left, he texts his roommate and said, quote, I love you, bro. Seriously, you're the best person I've ever met. You saved my soul, end quote. In all the interviews that Sean did in the days after Bryce vanished, he says he doesn't believe that Bryce left on purpose, that he was just trying to find himself, and that Bryce even told him that he would be back on Labor Day, which was the Monday after he disappeared. A lot of people wonder if maybe Bryce had a mental break. Mental illness, such as schizophrenia, tends to come out in men from the ages of 18 and 24, so that could be one explanation. Or maybe the use of Vivans mixed with a mental illness. No one knows for sure, but detectives believe that Bryce walked away from his life and that's why he was giving away his possessions, and the bloodhounds tracking him to a truck stop might mean he hitched a ride and is living somewhere else, living a new life. Detectives have tracked his social security number and a few other things, but there hasn't been any activity since the day he vanished. Mike and Karen believe there could have been a couple different things that may have happened to Bryce, that some type of foul play was involved, because they don't think that in five years, if their son was still alive, that he wouldn't have contacted them even just once. Or that if he is alive, maybe he doesn't know who he is because of the accident. But we can't forget about Bryce's strange behavior the days leading up to the accident. And I have to wonder if all of that plays a big part into what actually happened to him. And I truly think it does. There's a lot of people who still believe that Bryce's body is in the lake somewhere that his intention was to commit suicide and drive his car into the lake, and when that didn't work, he just got out of his car and walked into the lake and did it that way. 
But again, we can't forget about the dogs that tracked his scent past the lake to the truck stop. His parents sadly get a lot of negative grief online about not going and getting Bryce himself, themselves, after hearing from Sean and Kim, and then after all the calls about him being in the same spot for more than a half a day. But we never know how we would act when we have never been in that situation. On one hand, they are worried about their son, and on the other, police are standing right in front of Bryce and telling them that he's completely coherent and capable of driving. So you believe the police, especially when you have no reason not to. I'll be posting Bryce's picture on my social media. He would be hard to miss since he has bright red hair and red eyebrows and a big smile. Please take a look at the pictures because, hey, you never know. Maybe you have seen him before and you might be the one that can help close Bryce Lapisa's missing person case. Thank you guys for listening to this episode and I'm going to be very curious to what you think could have happened to Bryce. I just, I just honestly don't even know, but I truly do not think that his strange behavior before his disappearance, it has to have something to do with everything else. I just feel like how couldn't it? But then again, I I honestly have no idea. JR thinks that he just walked away from his life. I just, I find that hard to believe. I mean, not that I went into much detail about his life before college, but from all accounts, he had a great life, a great childhood. His parents were good parents. They took care of him. You know, just all the things that you're supposed to do as as a family, as parents, they did for Bryce, you know. So there wouldn't really be any reason when it comes to that, that he would just want to up and leave his life. So I don't know. It's it's so fucking strange. And I want to know what you guys think. So let me know. You can, of course, find me on Facebook and Instagram at True Crimes Untold Podcast. I'm on Spotify. Hit the subscribe button and you will get notifications with new episodes. And I will see you guys in a few weekends. Bye.